Welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people making an impact in the fresh produce sector. We'll take a deep dive into what they do and find out how they're helping to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted along the farm to fork journey. But before we get started, did you know that according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, around 45% of the world's fruits and vegetables go to waste each year? If you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a part of the industry or simply a consumer, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. Now, time for your host, Mitchell Denton. Hi there, and welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people of interest across the food supply chain. Today on our show, I'm joined by Sarah Nollett from Tenacious Ventures, who I will be talking to about how her industry knowledge of the food value chain and expertise in ag tech commercialization has led to a position in the industry consulting startups that have gone on to help reduce the amount of annual food loss within the food value chain. So with no further delays, let's get started. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, no worries. Thanks for joining us. Before we get into it, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. And while you're at it, maybe just a little fun fact about yourself that most people don't know. Sure. Um, so yeah, Sarah Nolette, partner at Tenacious Ventures. We spend 100% of our time in the ag tech space helping innovators who will have an impact solve climate change and bring technology and innovation to agriculture. Uh, I guess a fun fact about myself that most people don't know, although maybe some people know, um, is that I've been a pretty competitive athlete my whole life on sport number like four right now, depending on how you count playing mm. at a, a pretty competitive national, international level. So uh, yeah, spend a lot of time doing that. Sorry, did you say sport number four? <laughs> yeah. So played um, soccer growing up and in college was an All-American and then played a bit semi-professionally, um, also ran track, did the heptathlon and played basketball in college. And then now for the last five years, picked up beach volleyball and have had a go at at that here in Australia and playing in the national tour and such. Wow. Good for you. Putting me to shame. <laughs> I got to get back into competitive sport. Yeah. Well, I don't do much of anything else. It's sort of uh, sports and work and that's about it. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. Well, continuing on from you telling us what you do, would you mind expanding on the journey that led to you being in such an authoritative position within the ag tech industry and what the goal is behind your work of consulting within startups and innovation? Yeah, sure. So we, um, I guess, think of ourselves as enablers, really, of innovation. So we don't consult uh, with anyone <laughs> anymore, but we work to enable both our startups and our investors and our advisory clients um, in this space. I guess how, like, how I got started in that really was um, a not a background in agriculture. We had a hobby farm growing up, and I've spent time on farms throughout my life. And again, caring about food, perhaps as an athlete, but really not an ag background or a farming background. Um, came at this from the tech and the business side, just seeing the potential of technology to transform agriculture. And all that came about through an accidental gap year in South America. So I didn't start my career in ag and didn't grow up in ag, but ended up there in my mid-20s on a farm uh, in Argentina, of all places, getting interested in, in the power of technology and business to help transform the food system. And that led me to really think about how innovation could be brought to market in new ways. So not just research uh, and not just kind of traditional pathways, but this whole new world of venture capital and, and startups and innovation. 
innovation. And how do we do that, bringing the best practices of Silicon Valley and kind of high tech innovation with the grounding of people who've been in this industry and why value chains work the way they do. And so bringing that combination together is what led to the creation of Tenacious Ventures and really our work with startups and investors at the intersection of, of technology, innovation and sustainability. So it all came about through uh, a short answer is an accidental gap year to South hmm. America. But yeah, the longer answer is a bit of a roundabout journey. Yeah, wow. No, that's very interesting. You kind of found yourself back there where it all began. <laughs> yeah. So in your line of work, you've obviously been on the front lines of innovation with multiple startups uh, aiming to reach a market need. Have you recognized any common thread that can be identified across successful ag tech ventures, no matter what the innovation might be? Yeah, Mitch, I think you really hit on it with uh, that market need point of the question. So we see a lot of technologies or a lot of companies maybe focusing too much on the technology and not enough on the user or the problem that they have. So while a tech can be great, it's really just a widget, right? And if we don't have a person who's going to change behavior or put their hand in their pocket to buy something and it's going to make a difference in their lives or for the bottom line, then you don't actually have a business. So we see the um, most successful businesses really focusing on that user and the problem they have and the business model that goes around the technology, uh, not just the technology itself. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think is the biggest challenge within ag tech right now? And how do you think we can overcome it? One of the big challenges is that people just don't understand the space. It is, uh, I mean, when you're in it, it seems quite large. Everything from, you know, waste management to precision agriculture to carbon, there's tons in this space and it's super exciting. But for someone looking more broadly at technology or innovation, ag tech is just one of many spaces. You've got fintech and med tech and traditional software and all these other spaces. And so when you look at ag tech from that perspective, it is quite confusing and complex. And so I think capital has been a challenge to come into this space because they haven't been as familiar with it. And so what we're seeing right now is this big interest in agriculture technology because of, of climate change and the potential for ag tech to help bring solutions there. But then this lack of understanding of the space and so this big hesitance. So I think we're on the brink of unlocking more capital to come in and support these entrepreneurs and scale these businesses. But there's this challenge right now of that lack of understanding uh, of the sector to bring that comfort and kind of yeah. unlock that capital. Yeah, yeah. So over time, you've been across multiple continents and their local ag tech industries. Uh, which countries would you say are leading the way in innovation? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always get asked in um, like New Zealand, if New Zealand's ahead or behind of Australia <laughs> and in Australia, if they're ahead or behind of the US. Yeah, and so I think yeah. everyone has their like big brother, big sister countries in yeah. some ways. I would say some of the traditional ones that you'd hear about are leading. I mean, the US for sure, because of the capital markets and just the size of, of the space in particular. Then you've got places like Israel and the Netherlands that are really punching above their weight on the innovation side. But you've got kind of fast followers like New Zealand and Australia that have the basis in agriculture agriculture, agricultural research, and this emerging ag tech ecosystem really starting to punch uh, at or above their weight on the global stage. So no shortage of countries and and continents playing a role in this space. And that's absolutely what we need um, to solve both local and global challenges. Yeah, great. You're not just stroking our ego there. I mean, you are based in Australia, so there's got to be something good going on over here. You know? <laughs> yeah, look, and when I came here, I didn't know that I would stay, let alone stay to, to work specifically in ag tech, but um, that has absolutely been what's happened and um, yeah. got lucky in some ways, but decided to stay in Australia because it is uh, such a great place to originate innovation and work with farmers and industry here um, to get adoption. Yeah, yeah. 
So with investment in ag tech seeing increasing growth over the years, where would you say the biggest area of interest is? Where are the majority of investors looking to help grow and develop? Yeah, I would say there isn't really one space that is attracting the most interest. And that's why it is so exciting, because there are a bunch of different spaces. A couple of the hot ones, though, especially in this past year in 2021, have been carbon and sequestering carbon in soil and in other um you know, ecosystem services that agriculture can provide solutions to environmental challenges and decarbonization. So that's a big one, whether that's measurement and verification technologies or practice change or data management. So that's one. And then the other one that's been really hot, especially in the past year, has been alternative protein. So plant-based protein and cultured meat attracting a lot of capital with the Beyond Meat IPO and um, Impossible Foods growth and expansion. So we've seen those two spaces in particular take off a bit in the last year. I mean, this podcast alone has definitely had multiple guests in both those fields. So yeah, I mean, we must be getting the right kind of guests on because we're definitely (laughs) seeing a lot of that come through lately. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, definitely on trend. (laughs) This is a bit of a two-part question, so please bear with me. Uh, With the world's farming population growing older and an apparent decline in young farmers looking to fill their roles... What would you say is the current relationship between older generation farmers and ag tech startups? And how does the industry feel about the adoption of ag tech to help fill the gap of farmers in the future? Yeah, I think there's this sort of narrative that sometimes gets touted and and I find it a little bit frustrating that says, oh, there's all these older generation of farmers and, you know, they often have like straw hat and like straw in their mouth or hay (laughs) in their mouth and like overalls and pitchfork and, you know, this kind of stereotypical image. It's like, oh, they're getting old and they don't want to use technology and we just need them all to die off and get the new generation in and then we'll adopt and modernize. Obviously, that's such a limiting view for a number of reasons. Um, And I just don't think it's true. I think that technology inclination is not only tied to age, it's also tied to business savviness and curiosity and um, maturity of operation. And so we see plenty of farmers of all ages engaging in and adopting technology. And we see plenty of farmers, old and young generations, not doing that because the value proposition doesn't stack up or the business model isn't there. So I would say this narrative around it's an age thing, I think misses the point that it's often a value proposition thing or an incentive challenge or an alignment of business model that can really unlock adoption, not so much the age of farmers. And that Mm. narrative is actually pretty limiting both for farmers and for ag tech companies um, because it really misses those opportunities. Totally, totally. So I would argue that most, if not all, innovation in ag has the overall objective of reducing food loss numbers. But can you think of a particular example that is clearly changing the way we approach certain farming practices for the better? Yeah. Um, so I can give an example of one of our portfolio companies. Um, so we, well, I guess two, maybe one that is directly reducing um, food loss, maybe less on the um, farming practice side, but uh, a company called GoTerra that has a waste management solution. So they use a biological process in the form of black soldier flies in a fully automated temperature controlled unit. So maggot robots, uh, literally robots farming maggots uh, that are processing food waste on site. And so that is like directly reducing food waste and reducing methane emissions, diverting food waste from landfill. So that's that's kind of one end. And then on the other end, in terms of practice change, we've invested in and partnered with a company called Rapid Aim, and they have what we call a digital crop protection layer. So they have um, insect pest detection sensors and analytics that can show where insect pests are, as well as predict where they might be. And so give that early warning at a regional scale of when pest pressures might be occurring. 
And that Mm. has a number of benefits for growers, but also for crop protection companies who might want to be rolling out new crop protection products in the form of biologicals or precision chemistry or um, other types of products and need that confidence layer for growers to say, you know, if you're going to transition to something that doesn't just blanket spray and kill everything, we need that confidence to say this is really working and we're not going to lose the whole crop. And so it's that digital layer that's really key uh, to kind of unlocking that new practice and those new Mm. products. And, And that's really what Rapid Aim does. Yeah. Wow. No, that's fascinating stuff. We, we had a guest on uh, just recently, Tamar from EcoFly, and um, she she was very much talking about uh, the black soldier flies. And that, that was a completely unknown world to me. And that just kind of blew my mind, just all the possibilities within that. So that's really exciting mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. yeah, there's no shortage of uh, niche spaces, growing spaces, exciting no, unknown spaces uh, in AgTech. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So has the COVID pandemic, for better or worse, had any effect on your day-to-day operations? And has it had any (laughs) lasting changes? Yeah, I mean, for us as a company, in some ways, not really, because we've always been natively remote. And so we haven't ever had an office that we go to regularly or anything like that. And so we adapted well in that sense. Um, but it does in that we, you know, in any given year, like to spend a bunch of time on farms and in the industry, visiting our startups, visiting their, you know, operations and manufacturing. And we just haven't been able to do that. One specific example is when we're thinking about investing in a company and doing diligence, it'd be great to go meet that team and spend time with the founders and actually see their offices. And we haven't been able to do that, obviously over the pandemic. So we've actually had to make some investments where we didn't meet the team. And then it's been fascinating because, you know, I got to go to the US, for example, for this year and met a couple of our companies that we've, you know, talked to regularly on Zoom and invested Mm -hmm. in and supported, uh, but hadn't actually met in person for well over a year. So that's been a change. And um, I think it's, it's actually created, you know, some opportunities in some ways in that people in regional areas or maybe who aren't part of the traditional kind of tech uh, and venture networks, it's democratized the playing field a little bit in terms of being able to access capital, even if you don't live in one of those main cities or hang out in one of those startup hubs, because no one's in them uh, for the last two years. So I think that's been beneficial. And it's helped people think a little bit more about agriculture um, as well. We're all sitting at home for the last two years and, you know, food has been a big source of entertainment and sustenance and uh, conversation. Conversation. And so everyone's thought a little bit more about where stuff comes from. And, you know, seeing empty shelves has made us all pay attention a bit more to supply chains. And so mm. I think there's a kind of rejuvenated interest in agriculture and supply chains that's creating some opportunities and bringing some talent into this sector as well. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to food loss and sustainability within the food supply chain, what's the biggest area you're most curious about and why? Um, I would say like those, those things are probably a little bit different when I think of, um, sustainability, I think more broadly about, um, you know, climate adaptive agriculture, as well as, um, agriculture being a solution to climate change and helping other industries decarbonize. And so there I think about how can we incentivize practice change for farmers so that they're contributing solutions, but also having that not negatively impact the bottom line, actually creating more profitability and, um, rejuvenation for regional communities. So that's the kind of broader sustainability banner. And then food loss would be one sort of aspect under that where, 
we can prevent, you know, divert waste from landfill and reduce methane emissions um, and overall make sure that our food system is as efficient as possible in terms of delivering nutrition to people around the world. And so in food loss, some of the areas we've been looking at are shelf life preservation, cold chain optimization, you know, logistics. As much as we think about digitizing the world and software being really important and all these analytics, we still have to move stuff from A to B. You can't eat software. And so um, that logistics piece and that cold chain optimization and what are those assets look like as we have more autonomy and we know what fruit is going to be harvested when and where um, starts Mm -hmm. to get pretty interesting. Mm, Yeah. So continuing on with that question, uh, being the co-founder of Tenacious Ventures, is there a particular group or innovation that you're excitedly keeping a watchful eye on? Yes. So, um, I mean, I guess I mentioned the company GoTerra before and in particular in the in food waste space, that's one that we've partnered with and invested in and that we're really excited about. Um, But there's a whole range of companies um, in the ecosystem. I mean, we've made 10 investments so far um, out of our first fund. And uh, again, they, they, range from carbon to precision agriculture. Um, so companies uh, like Regrow and Nori, companies like Swarm Farm Robotics in the on-farm automation space. Um, and then in the alternative protein space that we spoke about before, we've got Vow and Nowadays um, in cultured meat and plant-based protein. So um, it's kind of like your kids, right? You can't pick a favorite. Um, so we've made 10 investments and I love them all. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Playing it safe. So unfortunately, Sarah, we are coming to a close. But before we do, I just want to ask you, what is the number one takeaway you really want the listeners to absorb from this episode? Yeah, well, we didn't really touch on it much, but I would say one of the big things that's been um, key in our work and in our observation of the companies we've partnered with and um, worked with has been there's no one kind of stereotypical or quintessential view of what an innovator in agriculture looks like. So we see innovators who are farmers and live in regional areas, who are young, who are old, who are female, who look like tech startup founders and wear tech t-shirts, and ones who totally don't, who are entomologists or wool classers or, um, you know, aerospace engineers. So Mm -hmm. I think that if you're interested in ag tech and interested in innovating in this space, it really doesn't matter what kind of background you come from, or if you fit the quote unquote traditional mold, Um, there's room for all kinds of things and perspectives and innovators in this space. And so I would just say an open innovation, uh, an open invitation rather to, to get involved, um, no matter what background you come from or how many years you do or don't have on farm or in a startup, we need all kinds of um, technology and innovation and perspective to, to solve the challenges in this industry. And that's, that's really my uh, call to action here is if it's interesting to you, you know, get involved because um, we need all the help we can get. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that's all for today's episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Sarah, for joining me today. Thanks so much, Mitch, for having me. For any listeners who would like to know more about Tenacious Ventures, check out the link in the description of this episode. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode, and don't forget to review and share with your friends. Until next time, you've been listening to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, a post-harvest podcast. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a supplier, consumer, or anyone in between the farm-to-fork journey, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today.